1: Welcome to Brainwaves, you're listening to 8.55am and it's just past five. Uh, On today's show we have PhD candidate and social worker Kath Selick who is interested in the experience of voice hearing and trauma-informed care. Kath has just finished conducting research on Australian mental health and other social services, uh, how they respond to voice hearers who have experienced sexual abuse or assault. It's a very important work. Um, My name's Kiara and interviewing today is Terry and Sarah. Over to you.
2: Thanks, Kiara. Um, Welcome aboard, Kath. We're very honoured to have you here today after meeting you at the VicServe conference um, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, We particularly enjoyed the presentation that you gave and were absolutely fascinated by the content that you spoke of on the day.
3: And um, just for our listeners, the Vic Service Conference was the keynote, it's an annual conference, keynote conference for the Disability Fields, Psychiatric Disability Services of Victoria.
2: Thanks very much for that, Terry. Uh, So we just might start off with the first question um, to give you a chance to um, have some airtime as you're our guest of honour. So um, first we thought we might ask you, Kath, what does trauma-informed care actually mean?
0: That's a good question. Um, It's a pretty big concept, but I'll try and um, wrap it up in a bit of a nutshell. Essentially it comes from the idea that a lot of people who experience trauma issues like mental health and homelessness and poverty also have experiences of trauma in their background. So trauma-informed care has kind of um, been developed over the last of 10 years, so that services actually adapt themselves to better meet those needs of people who have experienced trauma. So essentially, some of the core ideas is that it assumes assumes that everyone coming into a service may have experienced trauma in their lifetime. Um, and it basically tries to change the way processes work within a workplace to be sensitive to that. So there's things are around ensuring that people have a lot of control over the care or the treatment or the services that they're accessing, um, that they do things that will prevent re-traumatization from occurring. Um, it's making sure that adequate services um, relating to trauma are available um, and these sort of things, so yeah, you know, Very sort of small nutshell. That's what trauma-informed care is about.
3: Great. Um, Now, I think you want me to ask... We were... Discussing this before, that um, in the research paper by Eleanor Longdon, Mm. one of your colleagues slash (laughs) mentors from Leeds University in the UK, she cites Ross who argues that uh, cases, people who in the past were diagnosed with schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. today would be classed as having a dissociative identity disorder. Mm. Um,
0: Would you like to make a comment about that? (laughs) Okay, well I suppose... Again, that's a um, very big area to discuss. Um, I suppose in the last 10 years, 15 years or so, there's been a lot more research into um, people who hear voices and people who have, I suppose, what's commonly diagnosed as psychosis or schizophrenia. And they've really looked into um, the role of trauma and how that plays out within people who have that diagnosis or those experiences. And what we're finding is a lot of people who... I'll focus on voice hearing because that's my area of interest yeah a lot of people who hear voices um, have had experiences of trauma child abuse these kind of experiences in their life and i suppose what ross and eleanor Longden talk are trying to um, explore is whether or not there's an experience of dissociation that's connected to voice hearing um, it's pretty speculative at the moment in terms of how that model works but the idea is really that Um, dissociation is a very common response from um, trauma. It's a very sort of adaptive response in early um, childhood experiences of trauma. And what they're suggesting is that there may be some role of dissociation um, involved in the experience of voice hearing.
3: Yes, and I did find it very interesting that the paper talked about in the normal population, Mm -hmm. I
0: think there was something like... Two to fourteen percent
3: heard voices.
0: It's around. I mean, there's lots of different studies that have looked into this. I think it's about two to eight oh, percent. thank you. And that's kind of based on a whole lot of different studies. And there are people who just hear voices in their everyday life who aren't in contact with psychiatric services and haven't been given a diagnosis of mental illness. So there's reason to believe that it's actually a lot more common than we would imagine that people do hear voices without becoming. Sort of psychiatrically needing. needing services yeah. yeah
2: thank you that's wonderful thanks so much kath that's really helped us understand what the whole concept of um this um trauma-informed care is all about uh would you mind just letting our listeners know so you've just recently completed your phd so i'm sure they'd love to know what was your main um, concern in this area mm-hmm. of trauma-informed care
0: yeah, absolutely. So I suppose my research started um, back into the 2012 when I was sort of working closely with Voices Vic, which is sort of a organisation that supports voice hearers here in Victoria, and I was really consulting with them around what they felt was the most important research areas for voice hearers. Um, And Indigo Deira, who was the program manager at the time, suggested that looking into how services respond to trauma would be really important. Um, And like I said, we we really do know that um, there is quite a high prevalence um, of experiences of trauma amongst people who hear voices. And so what I was interested in looking at was how um, mental health services respond to that group. Um, In my own sort of practice experience, I found that I was working with lots of people who had never really been asked about experiences of abuse or trauma in there. Um, when using services, they've never been referred to any kind of counselling. And so just in my own practice experience, it was an issue that concerned me as well. So really the project was looking at um, went about looking at that. So I've spent you know, the, the last few years interviewing people who hear voices and have experienced abuse um, about their experiences accessing services. And I've also surveyed um, sort of mental health professionals, Around the country, or around their work practices with this group.
1: Sorry, sorry to interject, guys. I just wanted to um, to ask. You know, when talking about the different experiences of of trauma, mm-hmm. um, you know, we often kind of automatically think of physical abuse or mm-hmm. sexual mm-hmm. abuse. Um, you know, and the idea of trauma informed care mm-hmm. says that there's actually a whole lot of other sorts of trauma mm-hmm. that people can experience that society doesn't really recognise. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing as this is your kind of area, can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the traumas that aren't typically recognised or that, you know, trauma-informed care yeah. hopes to kind of incorporate or bring in mm-hmm. or recognise?
0: Yeah, certainly. And it's it's sort of really looking at um, events that do kind of shake your life experience. So it can include sort of bullying at school. It can include the death of... You know a loved one or a parent um these kind of things can kind of feature into traumatic experiences as well alongside that kind of physical abuse and sexual abuse that's sort of the more severe pointy end of the trauma stick mm. so it sort of yeah certainly takes a very broad lens on what trauma looks like
1: yeah
3: could i throw in a question there when you're talking about dissociation and you were talking before that generally speaking, that's an adaptive mechanism that can occur before the age of about seven, is my understanding. Mm. Yeah, would you like
0: to comment <laughs> on
3: that? Because so when we're talking about trauma, mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is if that trauma happened
0: after the age of seven, mm. you might not
3: develop those dissociative symptoms.
0: Yeah, I mean... I'm not a huge expert in dissociation. I have a bit of a bit of an understanding of it um, from what I know and I wouldn't be able to speak too much to the age difference but yep. I know the theory behind it is that um, if, if a young child is experiencing something quite traumatic... Um, life-threatening. W- life-threatening. So we're talking about sort of sexual physical abuse. One way of coping with that extreme emotional response is to actually disconnect from the body, mm. to disconnect from the experience. So, you know, young children who... Particularly if they regularly experience abuse, will actually learn to be able to dissociate to survive. Essentially, what what is actually quite an awful, yeah, life threatening um, experience. Um, and I think what happens after that is it becomes quite um, habitual and quite sort of yes, quite common to actually. You know, continuing adult life even when that abuse has gone away. Mm. Mm.
1: Okay, and what you're saying is that's on kind of one end of the spectrum, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, bullying, Mm -hmm. you know, moving house, losing, you know, Mm -hmm. the death of of a of a loved one, Mm -hmm. which are kind of very normal in Mm -hmm. inverted Mm -hmm. commas Mm -hmm. here, Um, normal experiences Mm -hmm. that a lot of people would or may experience Mm -hmm. in their life. Mm -hmm. So. Is trauma-informed care for that, for that
0: you know bracket of of people? Um, look, I think there's probably a few debates um, in the literature around how we conceptualise trauma. I think some people are a little bit concerned about broadening that lens of trauma too far mm. because it 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 is quite different. I think to sort of to, you know the trauma of moving, relocating is quite different from the trauma of being of course. surviving sort of abuse. Yeah. Um, But I suppose essentially trauma-informed care assumes that everybody has, has um, experienced some sort of trauma and develops services to react to that accordingly. So in essence, it actually it does it would cover all sorts of different traumas because it Mm. is actually trying to develop kind of processes that would be responsive to the sort of really severe trauma. So therefore, it probably would fit. Um, some of those other sort of smaller traumas. Yeah, so understanding
1: that trauma impacts everyone differently. Yes. And it's how it impacts that individual dictates, you know, how significant that trauma is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 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 So what can services do,
0: you know, if we're using (laughs) trauma-informed care? Is it as simple as asking? I mean, uh, a lot of my research is looking into asking, and that's sort of one sort of quite a small part of it, particularly within mental health services. I think, you know, when mental health practitioners are actually working with individuals, we're really... Well, we hopefully would be aiming to get a full picture of someone's life history of what's happened to them and really understand what's led them to be where they are now. So screening for trauma is really important in that because that's a very... quite Often quite a formative life event and it may be a very big part of someone's experience of distress at that time. So certainly... Um, opening up opportunities for people to be able to talk about their trauma experiences is really important mm-hmm. but then trauma informed care also goes down to um, you know how services you know services can be trauma informed if they ensure that um, information and how sort of work is going to go is very clear to the individual coming in so there's no kind of surprises, there's no sort of hidden information. Um, It kind of stresses that people should be in control of the services that they're getting so they should be able to have choice, they should be able to actually lead the work that they're doing Um, and so I suppose within mental health services that's pretty, that can be quite challenging because again at the more kind of serious edge of mental health services you have people who are often being treated against their will. So Mm -hmm. they will be involuntarily treated, they may be involuntarily hospitalized, they may be involuntarily medicated. Um, And for someone who's experienced trauma, especially trauma such as sexual abuse, that's a very, very re-triggering experience Mm -hmm. to actually having a lot of power taken away from you. So I think it's, yeah, trauma-informed care is really about giving the clients power. And I think mental health services struggle with that issue quite a bit sometimes.
2: What have voice hearers been telling you about what's working or not, considering their experiences of trauma? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's, um, certainly in my interviews, there was a lot of discussion around what wasn't working in the services, but everyone I interviewed did have some really good relationships, and a few kind of key themes have come out from that. Um, What I found really interesting is that everyone I spoke to spoke about making some sort of understanding or making sense of their experience is really important. So actually um, learning that perhaps there might be some link between their voice hearing experience and their trauma or actually understanding some of their voice hearing experiences. A lot of voice hearers would talk about um, understanding sort of metaphors or kind of themes that their voices are representing in their lives. So that kind of helped them engage in some more um, exploration and therapy and support around those sort of issues so for example one woman i interviewed realized a lot of her sort of voices were linked to issues of shame and she had some real kind of just grappling with you know issues of shame that were attached to her experiences of abuse which is obviously really common so i think a lot of people really talked about um learning um actually getting information around trauma and learning different ways of understanding voice hearing is really really important. Um, the other thing that was really useful was hearing peer stories of recovery. So actually um, you listening to other people who had similar experiences and learning from them and learning about what they did and how they came to understand their experiences. So that's definitely one of the key findings that I found is really useful. Um, the other one was around um, negotiating sort of power and control. So I think we talked a little bit earlier about how mental health services can take a lot of power and control away from people um, just in the nature of how the services worked and what my sort of the interviewees I spoke to talked about a lot was good services were ones where they would share control of how the work was done together. So they would go at the voice hearers pace they would Um, be really flexible with how they worked so if someone wanted to sort of draw some pictures on one day they could just draw some pictures Mm -hmm. or if they wanted to go for a walk they'll go for a walk if they wanted to change rooms so having that real flexibility without in terms of being able to be in control of how the relationship worked was really really important Um, and i just think quality relationships as well i think one thing that came up time and time again in the interviews were people saying I really appreciated when I felt like I was treated as human. So having really kind of authentic, genuine relationships with their mental health workers where where they actually felt like they were just a regular person rather than someone with a mental illness. So that was another really sort of valuable. And thing it, that isn't came up that
3: a, it, a finding consistently that it might not necessarily depend on the type of treatment, but on the nature of the relationship. If there's a constructive relationship, that seems to be the factor impacting on on mm. becoming more well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's been a few, quite a few research studies that suggest that regardless of what techniques or skills that are used in a therapeutic relationship, the quality of the relationship is really useful, is, is really the important thing, mm. and that is made up from you know, engagement and rapport and, you know, actual quality human-to-human relationships Mm. seem to be really important. So yeah, Mm. yeah, absolutely. Mm.
3: Okay, thanks a lot for that, Kath. Um, Now, uh, one question I wanted to ask was, what were some of the factors uh, that, were seemed to be apparent when a psychologist or a social worker first interviewed mm. uh, someone coming in for some assistance with yeah. their mental health issues.
0: Yeah. So I suppose the survey that I did with mental health professionals looked at how often um, professionals were sort of screening for abuse. And there were a few trends that it came out from that. Um, they found that, you know, if someone worked for an organisation that had policies and procedures that said that they should be screening for trauma, that were more likely to screen for trauma, which isn't very, you know, unsurprising. Um, one thing I found was, so most most respondents sort of said that they sometimes screen for abuse. They weren't saying often or always. And, and this is all in the public sector, isn't it? Um, it's across the board. Oh, you so interviewed private It was a mainly, most of my um, respondents were from the public sector, but there were private yep. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the other sort of factors that came out was sort of staff were more likely to ask people who were hearing voices if the content of their voices or other kind of symptoms were suggestive of experiences of abuse, um, which is a little bit troubling for, for me. I think that trauma-informed care, again, kind of suggests that we really need to be asking everybody regardless of how they're presenting. Yes. So what I found was that people were less likely to ask um, consumers who were presenting with sort of odd or unusual voices, um, whereas if the content was, you know, clearly related to sexual abuse, they were more likely to ask. So that's one sort of interesting binding that's come out from that. Um, I found that women were better at asking about abuse than men um, in general, uh, which is, again, another interesting kind of Are we talking finding. sexual abuse there around, or, yeah, yeah. or full range? No. Well, my, my survey is particularly about sexual abuse. Okay, so, yep.
3: Um,
0: yeah, and I think there, there is a bit of discomfort around asking the opposite sex. That was sort of another trend that came up. Um, and... The other kind of factor was... So are you saying
3: that men would be more likely to ask
0: a a male patient or client? um, Yeah, look, it seems like that. But in general, men are are less likely to ask everybody than women. Um, So that's sort of an interesting finding as well. Um, The other finding I found was that people... I sort of measured um, how much respondents... Um, believed in certain beliefs and I found that the more people believed in sort of a biological origin for voice hearing the less likely they were to actually screen mm. for trauma and abuse mm. so that was another really interesting factor that came up mm. as well. Mm. Thank you. Okay um, I wanted to ask
1: um, for any workers or for um, anyone who's listening who has an experience of mental illness um, and they want to find out more about trauma-informed care or, you know, want any workers who think, hey, this is this is good stuff, you know, I want to incorporate this into my practice. Mm-hmm. Where can, you know, what what resources are good? Where can they find this sort of information? <laughs> I'm so sorry to put you on the spot.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's that's fine. There's, you know, increasing uh, trauma-informed care is starting to become more accessible, I think, in mental health services. There are a few um, organisations that are rolling out trauma-informed care care training. training so i think the phoenix blue knot. Mm. oh yeah sorry yeah phoenix institute which is the center for post-traumatic mental health um blue knot which is the um australian survivors of childhood sexual yes. assault they've yes, recently they've re- re- renamed to blue yep. knot they're really really great um the mental health um coordinating council based in new south wales roll out a whole lot of trauma-informed training as well um I'll plug a good friend of mine and colleague, Indigo Daya, has a blog that's got lots of information about trauma-informed ah. care from her perspective. Um, she writes a lot of sort of information around that. Yeah. We've um, had Indigo on the show. She's um, a
1: staff – or she used to be a staff member mm. at my my fellowship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was because of her influence that my fellowship kind of took on board um, trauma-informed mm-hmm. practice and um, taught taught it to all of the staff members. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's Perfect. fantastic. I yeah. didn't know that. She's she's phenomenal. In, <laughs> yeah.
3: Because you know? yeah. she was only there a year or so. Yeah. She had that impact. That's she's, fantastic. She's, she's a powerhouse. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. All right. So um,
0: those resources, there, were there any others that you could think of? Off the top of my head, maybe not so much. I'm happy to give out my my email address if people do want to get in contact for more information, if that would be helpful. Yeah, no, that's fine. We can put it on um, okay. our
1: website yes. um, and we can put it on the 3CR page as well. And we'll put all of those resources down for people so yeah. that if they are interested yeah. that they can go and source yeah. that. And
3: will we ask Kath to say it now just in case there's someone listening? To yeah, say for it sure. Right yeah, now? go for yeah. it.
0: Yeah. Um, so you can just email me. Um, it's kselick, it's S-E-L-L-I-C-K at student www.unimalp.edu.au but yeah check the website
1: perfect all right well thanks for that that's all we've got time for today you've been listening to brainwaves on eight fifty five a.m we've been speaking with kath selick on the topic of hearing voices trauma and trauma-informed care you can download the podcast of today's show on the 3cr website you can also listen to podcasts of all of our shows to date on brainwaves.org.au Tune in next week on Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.